Today I welcome Dr. Lauren Leck, Head of School at Academy of Our Lady of Peace, USA. In this episode, I discuss the changing perceptions of historic faith schools, the importance of STEAM, not STEM, inspiring women in education, and being a role model to your students. I'd like to start by talking about perception because I saw a video of a news reporter at your school, the Academy of Our Lady of Peace, and he was amazed by the difference between what he was expecting and then what he experienced. How hard is it for schools to change perceptions, some of which might be quite historic and not representative of what a school is like today? I think it's a great question because it's a challenge that many all-girls schools have been faced with. I think that for many, they write this story that Girls' schools are finishing schools for whatever that reason is. And being on the board for the National Coalition of Girls' Schools, we've seen how they've had to rewrite that story, that girls' schools are, are much more than a finishing school. It's a place of rigor. It's a place of excellence and a place where science is flourishing and, and engineering and STEM. I think, though, for OLP specifically, when I came in now nine years ago, it was a place where it had a reputation of excellence. This was a place of academic extraordinaire. For me, one of the things that became very challenging is that excellence was accessible for all. And that was a perception that we had to work really hard to shift. For us, it was launching a program that allowed students with learning disabilities to have a place here. It allowed also a place where you could be an athlete and a scholar. For some, they didn't believe that you could have academic rigor and balance. And so that was a really hard concept that we had to rewrite. Also, it had become a place where only a certain type of student could have access to an AP class. And so one of the things we had to do was also shift a perception that anyone who wanted that level of rigor could have access to it. So we had to shift that around. And now within the last seven years, we've doubled the number of students in our AP and honors classes and maintained the same pass rate. It wasn't about they couldn't do it. If they wanted to, we could provide a pathway to that access. So I think for me, perception is powerful, but it is limiting in what it can do. So you have to really engage your constituents in what that means, but then they become your most powerful spokespeople about what that reality is. And so those are your boots on the ground. Those are your greatest salespeople about what the story really is. Because you can go on the news and talk till your face is blue, but it's the experiences of people that become the voice within the real community. Well, this was my experience. This was my story. And that's how really it gets out there. And so that's how I think perceptions begin to change is the stories of the people who have had a different experience. It's really important for schools to recognize that there are perceptions and they may not be the perceptions that you hold internally. And I think sometimes it's easy to, to lock the gates, put a wall around the school and go, this is what I feel we're like. This is what we're like without, because you don't want to risk upsetting the apple cart and then going, well, if I go and ask these questions, I'm going to find out somewhere maybe I don't want to hear. But that's surely the, the role of, of getting it right is you have to go outside of your close community and really get a pulse of what's outside to get a sense of, 
okay, this is what they really think. And then you go about changing the perception. Absolutely. Also being attuned to what stories are out there, right? And, and what people are saying about you and then keying into that. Well, why? Where did that come from? As I began to hear, you know, as I first came to the school all those years ago, you can't come here if you're this, or it only serves this type of student. We had to work to create pathways for that and then get the word out. To me, that's the powerful change mechanism that schools can have. And when you look at historical, a school that's 139 years old hasn't stayed relevant if it hasn't changed and shifted. And so I think that's also exciting that change can come about and relevant still be there. And how much of the change is driven by the head of the school and how much of it is sort of driven by the community itself and then the head is a facilitator. Do you have to be pretty strong in your conviction to go, this is what I believe the school, this is the direction I need it to go in, and then you drive to change those perceptions that align to your vision, or is it more of a a kind of a collaborative senior leadership, this is what we all feel, and I'll just be the spokesperson? You know, Simon, I think it's a both and. The best leaders are attuned to what is happening in the community, but also attuned to where a vision needs to go. It's a both and. And so it's listening to the needs of the community. It's listening to your constituent base, but it's also having an eye on where we need to go. I think the best of leaders are always moving back and forth between both of those. And if you don't keep both of those in an equal practice, then you will lose the visioning of the future or you will lose your touch and pulse on the community. And so I think it's a a careful balance of the two. And do you think that changing perception, this challenge is particularly difficult in faith schools? I don't know if it's particularly difficult in faith schools. I think longstanding traditional schools, schools that have a legacy, it can be definitely more challenging. Legacy can be hard. You have a constituent base that remembers a certain way. I'll never forget, as I began talking about new furniture that we were bringing in, furniture that was research-based from Stanford, and it had sit-stand desks and chairs that rolled. Now, albeit, when I first saw those rolling chairs, I was a little worried and said, is this research-based and where, where does this come from? But changing furniture, you would never imagine that that was an argumentative piece with alumni. And one of the alums said, well, if it was good enough for me, why isn't it still good enough today? And I said, well, are are you still using the same technology as you used back in in high school? Well, of course not. They didn't have that then. Well, why would you expect the learning to look the same? But there's a sense of nostalgia, I think, in schools that you want it to feel the same or look the same, but it certainly shouldn't be. So I think in some ways you're up against that and you have to change that allow your constituent base to come along with you. So legacy and tradition can be a challenge that you have to overcome to shift perceptions. So I don't think it's necessarily a faith base, but more within independent schools that have that long history. Yeah, I agree. I think a long history where you've got people do get confused with what's tradition and values. And it doesn't mean you can't change, but it's about having a modern approach that you change. Values don't change. Yes, buildings are there. You might develop something new, but you have to change. And you're absolutely right when you ask. I love that phrase. And I think we'll probably use that as the quote, you know. So I think we, you know, we do need to kind of look at the balance between the history, the values, and actually having vision 
to adapt, to be relevant for now? You know, we talk about with our board, building a school for our grandchildren. I mean, oftentimes it's hard to think about five years in the future. You think about 30, 40 years in the future, but it's that long range planning that I think is so necessary that we always keep ahead of ourselves. You know, what are we building for? What are we planning for? And I think as leaders in schools, we sell ourselves short when we only think short-term. We don't have that visioning of long-term of where are we going to go and and what's that dreaming? One of my board members said to me at one point as I'm dreaming and visioning and planning, he says, oh, I've got you. You're St. Joseph. You're our dreamer. I think that's necessary. You know, if, if we aren't dreaming and then putting wheels on those dreams as a vision, then we sell our students short and we sell future generations short. And then there's then a massive disconnect to your education being relevant. And actually, when they step out of your doors and go out into that big wide world, you know, have they got an equal opportunity as everyone around just because you've stuck with, with, with some of the history and the tradition that you've got that necessarily isn't aligned to making them a kind of a change maker that can go out into the world? Do you think that the role of faith and religion is declining in schools in the USA and across the world? Or can you comment on that in the USA? Such a question to wrestle with in today's world, right? We look at some of our universities and we start there because we've seen universities like Notre Dame in Indiana become one of the most sought after schools. I mean, it's become a quasi Ivy League school, right? Good luck getting in there at any point. That's a religious school, certainly not declining, a premier institution. What's their story? Why are they so successful? What has made them such a draw? And then juxtapose that with the articles about schools, Catholic schools closing in record number across the United States. So when we use an appreciative inquiry approach and say, why are schools that are Catholic and faith-based still open? What makes them relevant today? When we know, especially from a report like the Cairo Report, that our youth are disaffiliating in record numbers than we've ever seen before. I look at OLP specifically and ask why is a 139-year-old Catholic institution thriving like never before? Why is our enrollment up? Why are we seeing such record numbers? What's working here that isn't working in other places? To me, I think it's about the spirit of a Catholic institution that says, all are welcome, you have a place here, and regardless of what you affiliate with, you are welcome in this institution. And I look at how our sisters, our founding sisters of St. Joseph, their spirit is one of unifying love, and their mission is that all may be one. And when you walk around this campus, you see messages and signs and symbols that honor other faith traditions that honor people from other countries, that allow people to feel welcome. We do what we do because we're Catholic, but everyone, regardless of what your story is, has a place here on this campus. And I believe the institutions that are faith-based, that are thriving, have that message. So I think that is the key to surviving as a faith-based institution today. And, you know, I I think back to right before the pandemic hit, the last event we had before, you know, March, March 13th closed us down in 2020. 
don't know why, but I just said, we had to do this. It has to happen. And that was the dedication of our Butterfly Project and our Interfaith Place of Peace. And the Butterfly Project came out of our Holocaust literature class. And every butterfly represents a child lost in the Holocaust. And I wanted a place that remembered this amazing work that our students have been doing in a place of peace. And we brought together that with the Pieta, a one-to-one replica of Michelangelo's Pieta from the Vatican. And the only reason why we had it is because during World War II, they were worried that the Nazis were going to destroy it. Talk about an amazing coming together, right? All these Jewish children were killed in the Holocaust. And we have this Pieta from the Vatican because of their fear it was going to be destroyed. And we're able to celebrate both traditions in one place to say both are welcome, that all are welcome. And it's a place that says, no matter what your faith tradition, you have a place here at OLP. That's what I think it means. And you're obviously thriving. And as as a Catholic independent school, I suppose when recruiting new families, looking for new families, now how do you go about showcasing the openness you are to other faiths? Because on the face of it, people will be almost discounting you because, okay, I'm not Catholic. I'm not going to apply. But you're saying that actually you're all welcome. This is just the underpinning values that we have. And part of our faith is that you can come in here. I mean, how do you go about that as a school just to open up beyond the Catholic families? Simon, I think it's how you even experience the campus. When you walk around here, there's a sense of inclusivity. There's a sense of welcomeness that you feel from the very time that you enter onto this campus. And that welcomeness is felt. And I think that's what makes the difference is when you see those signs, you see those images, when you see those indicators that it's a place of of unity. It's a place where, where differences are accepted and similarities are sought to be found, where, where values can be ubiquitous across any person's belief system. And, you know, I, I think that is something that people yearn for in this place that we are in right now in our world, where so much anger is separating us. Families want that and desire that for their children to be in a place where we can seek discourse civically, where we can learn how with many differences to cohabitate and learn how that can work and how students can emerge, especially young women as leaders. And that's a diverse population. Those are skill sets that the best of leaders, especially women, can thrive in. And you feel it from our classes, from the community, from the gatherings, from all of it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You're a huge advocate of STEAM. And there's a great debate here in the UK about STEM versus STEAM. Why is it so important to have the A for arts in STEAM? One of our graduates, she to me epitomizes why STEAM. Danielle's at Harvard, amazing young woman, is majoring in neuroscience and played the oboe. That's why we have STEAM. In this day and age, you aren't one or the other. You can be an artist, you can be a musician, you can be a singer, you can be an engineer or a scientist or a biotechnologist. You can be both. And I think that what we find in our students is that they thrive when they can pursue their passions and their academic pursuits. That is a powerful educational experience. And they do better when they can pursue both. 
We just finished a major 40,000 square foot renovation, launched our Shiley Center for Science and Innovation, and brought in six new multidisciplinary labs. Just launched it right in the heat of COVID. And what are we breaking ground on in August? Our brand new 20,000 square foot St. Therese Performing Arts Center Library Multimedia because STEAM has to go hand in hand. We're not gonna invest in brand new science labs if we're not investing in a brand new theater, launching our new TEDx Women program. We're so excited about that. And our new dance studio. Because when you see these young women thriving in both, that's magic. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I've read that 40% of your graduates have gone on to study STEM subjects at university and college, more than double the national average. Is this common in girls' school in America? It is. And if you look at the amazing study from Tiffany Riger's Peel that came out from the National Coalition of Girls' School, what she's found is that all girls' school graduates are so much more likely to have a higher science self-confidence by studying in a girls' school. And part of it is that when you look at the data on girls and self-confidence, it really starts plummeting around fifth grade. It's terrifying because I look at my own daughter and I'm wondering, what am I going to do? Talk about my dream. That's part of it, where I'm looking for the future. Because in fifth grade, this crazy thing happens with our girls and their confidence starts to just plummet. And in those co-ed environments, they start doubting, they start questioning. Those hands start going down and the deference to their co-ed peers starts really appearing. So particularly in areas where they are risk adverse or they start questioning their abilities, that's where we see it most intentionally. And so within an all-girls school, they are more apt to follow their other girl counterparts in areas that they might be more risk adverse and therefore then pursue those subjects. Here on the OLP campus, as we were building our new Shiley Center for Science and Innovation, everything has glass, everything has doors. If she sees it, she can be it. And so working with power tools, for example, right? Getting in there and working on those robots or building the robots. We wanted girls to see that and see other girls doing it because they're more apt to pursue it. And so for us, that 40% average is similar to other girls' schools here in the United States. But we continue to see that number going up because we built programs where our students get to see it, they get to be it, and they get to have hands-on experiences with it. There's the other side of the coin that says, if you pursue supporting STEM so much, does it play too much towards the girls feeling compelled that they need to go down that pathway? Because we know there's a shortage of great women in, in engineering and, and the sciences when they get out into the real world. Are we forcing them down a path that doesn't necessarily allow some of them to thrive? Or are you just saying, we're going to give you all the opportunity. It's here if you want it. We're not going to force you down that path. If you're an artist, you're going to go down here. If you're into the liberal arts, you're going to go down here. Is that how you, you see it rather than? Yeah, you've got it. It's the second. It's more along the lines of, dabble in everything and see what you like. And so as they come in as frosh, it's the idea of the world is your oyster. 
Have you ever tried this? Have you ever experienced it? Try it as a club, try this, try that. And then begin to specialize and see what you're interested in. Because too often it's that they've never even experienced it. And what we know with girls is that if they don't think they'll succeed, they might not even try because they're very cautious. Girls are much more risk adverse than boys. A boy is like, sure, if I fail, whatever, I'll go for it. Girls are much more cautious. They're not going to necessarily try something if they don't think they'll succeed. So creating opportunities, whether it's a club, whether it's a co-curricular, where it's safe, there's not this jeopardy of your life depends on it. This is no risk, no big deal. Just play, have fun. And we know from even MIT, right? The more we can create play-like situations, the more that these kids can experience things in a fun way, a safe way, and there's no risk involved. And that's what we're trying to do here. They can experience it. If you like it, great. We've got opportunities for you to, to continue down that road. And clearly it's working because we're seeing those numbers continue to go up. The other thing we know about girls is when they have mentors and role models. So things like our OLP Women's Symposium, where they hear the stories of other women, that has been crucial. The other component that we know with girls is purpose-driven. So it's not just about try this, but it's about how can this make a difference in our world? So can I solve a sustainability issue with engineering? Can I solve a problem with pollution, with my chemical engineering understanding? So the more purpose is linked with a career pathway, the more girls will persist in it. And so we've been linking our research with those career pathways and for girls, that component is crucial. So the mentorship with the Women's Symposium and then the purpose-driven is also a big persistence with our STEM studies here at OLP. And we're going to touch on the OLP Women's Symposium because I think, I think it's, a, it's a really incredible connection that you've got. And I just wrote down while you were talking about women role models and mentors. I mean, I've got, as you know, two daughters. They both went to, my eldest one's just finishing an all-girls school, other daughters in, in an all-girls school. But she's really suffering with confidence this last 18 months or two years has been incredibly difficult. She's 13, incredible amount, physiological, everything else going on, friendship. But she's never had the time to settle. And we, and we are struggling with a lot of issues and mental health problems that I think have just been exaggerated because of lockdown. I do feel that's missing. Now I'm going to go back to school. It's about mentors because they do need the role models. I mean, I can't be the role model. My wife can't be the role model. We're her parents. And actually having other girls who can inspire her to get her through. That's all I want is she's got this beautiful, wonderful spirit. And I just feel that she suddenly lost it. She's lost that confidence about who she is because she's got two older siblings as well that appear to be brighter, a little bit more successful appear, right? And it's all relative, but that's how she sees it. I just know she's got incredible talents, but she doesn't have the confidence. So how do I go about setting up or getting mentors. Maybe there needs to be an international symposium for that. Absolutely. I would agree with that. One of the things that we did early on is we have so many cross-grade hybrid classes, especially throughout all of our electives, because mentorship doesn't have to be an older adult. It doesn't have to always be the woman. It can often be an older classmate. 
And those mentors can arise in the most powerful of ways. They can be you're in an engineering class or you're in an art class. And all of a sudden you start to have these powerful conversations with that upper class girl. And she takes you under your wing and starts talking with you about, I see this in you. Have you considered this? Or have you tried this? We talk a lot about here at OLP. I don't have to be less so she can be more. And we talk about how helping each girl rise to her potential, we can encourage that in one another. And so my favorite moments in a classroom are when that quiet girl speaks up and all the girls cheer for her. Oh my gosh, Annabelle, you did it. That was such a great comment. Way to go. You rocked that, right? And I'll never forget when one of our math teachers, his daughter went through here and he waited till she graduated. He had been in the public school system and he came here. And about two, three months in, he came to see me and he's like, Lauren, I never got what my daughter talked about. Like the sisterhood, I never got it. And now I get it. And it happens all the time. A girl will be struggling and her sister will bring her to me and say, she's not getting this math concept and we got to help her figure it out. I think mentors and role models can come in all different shapes and forms and older class women. It's about creating those authentic opportunities for mentorship. And then also getting involved in co-curriculars where you can have mentors and role models that might be in the program. Where's your passion for your daughter? Where does that come in? And it might be very different than her older sibling. It might be in a totally different way, but where does she find her voice? Where does she find her area? And I think helping our girls find that purpose, their passion, and their place of voice is so important for a girl helping her see who she is, even at the youngest of age, makes all a difference for a girl. Those are some of the things that we've done to help our girls find that confidence, that voice, that purpose, that passion. It doesn't have to be academic always. It could be, but in all these other areas. And for us, that's where we see our girls. But you know, you talk about this mental issue wellness, mental health. And that has been a major point that we've been focusing on. We look at the data on girls and depression rates and anxiety have skyrocketed like nothing else. Eating disorders, it's gone up 50% in the last two years here in the UK. And we can't cope. The health service cannot cope. Similar in America? Significant. I think our numbers are showing a 33% increase amongst teens in particular. I mean, 33% is an incredible number. And we're not seeing it amongst our boys at the same significant rates as our girls. So what is it? What's going on? You know, pieces of this is is social media. Pieces of this is this comparison effect, catastrophizing, perfectionism. We talk a lot about these things, you know, when is good enough? When is done, done? And having just these authentic conversations you know, having good relationships with an adult. Teachers can be some of the most powerful mentors for a student. You know, who's that adult on campus that you can connect with? These are things that we all know are good, but do we talk about that? Do we have those conversations? And do we have them with the adults on campus? This past year during COVID, we talked a lot about with the teachers, self-care. We talked with them about avoiding burnout. How do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure you're okay? Because as a teacher, you need to be okay so then you can take care of these beautiful girls because that relationship has to be there. In one of my previous podcasts, I just said 
you've got to put your oxygen mask on first. It's the best way of saying it. And, you know, I stretch myself very thin to help everyone else and I'll shoulder more responsibility, risk, pressure, whatever it is. But there is a point where you just have to go, I can't help you right now. I need to sort myself out because then I'm going to be much better to be able to help you. During the pandemic, those teachers that took the time to just check in, hey, how are we doing today? How's it going? That went further in moving the curriculum than any amount of curriculum you could do. Those were important lessons, you know, that we have to remind ourselves that those are the skills that we all need and we need to model. You know, we have to model for one another and for our girls. If our teachers are so concerned about perfectionism, that's going to move its way into our girls and what they see and then what they mimic. The roles of those teachers cannot be understated. So as school leaders, how are we helping our teachers recognize that and the power that they have? Beyond obviously speaking passionately about girls' education and being a voice for all these young women to really go make a mark in the world, you speak passionately about community engagement with the OLP Women's Symposium and your work with the San Diego Rotary. How does this benefit your school? You know, as we pivot from talking about modeling, I believe in everything I do, I want to serve as a model of what I ask my girls to do, I would not ask any less of myself. And here I am as a busy mom and I've got a family and a husband. I still believe it's important to model what I would ask them to do. And so community engagement and civic involvement, it's what we ask of our girls, that they give back, that they're involved, that they serve the dear neighbor without distinction. And so to me, being involved in Rotary is how I give back. My husband teases me all the time. He's all, I don't know anyone who loves going to Rotary as much as you do. You love going to your Rotary meetings, even on our anniversary. There I was dragging him to our, our first Rotary reconnect and he's laughing. He's like, are you for real? Our 15th anniversary and we're going to a Rotary? Come on, honey, we'll just stop by. But I love those connections. I, I love what Rotary stands for and, and the difference that it's making in the world. And, and that's what I want our girls to see is that you know, you can make a small difference on such a large scale and be part of something that's even bigger than you. To me, that's what I love about being part of that organization and then finding your passions within that and, and helping start our Interact program here at OLP and getting our girls involved with the, the same organization that I'm passionate about. My listeners won't be surprised having listened to this podcast that you were nominated for San Diego Woman of the Year. I mean, what a great message it is for prospective families who want to come to OLP that the head of school has been recognized across the city. How have you taken that? I just love what I get to do day in and day out. And I think I'm really lucky, Simon. I'm really lucky that I get to go to a job every day that I feel blessed to do. And anytime you leave your kids and your family and work crazy hours, better be for something you love. And so to be recognized as someone who loves what they do, who believes that they are making a difference in the world. And I see these alums who graduate from OLP and who head out, and they are the true change makers in our world. I feel like the recognition is for each and every one of these graduates. Lauren, thanks so much for your time. I think you've been amazing. Thank you, Simon. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.